play the first Coast to Coast Pick 5, featuring a sequence from Gulfstream Park in Florida and Santa Anita Park in California every Saturday and Sunday. Both the $1 minimum and 15% takeout are very player-friendly. Players can bet on track or online, usually listed as a separate track in your ADW. Just look for Coast to Coast Pick 5 in the drop-down. If you play on First Bet or Express Bet, you can get a free $10 bet on the Coast to Coast Pick 5 on select days to participate. Do not forget to register for the promotion. Get the Pick 5 sequence, expert analysis, free pass performances, and more at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. And be sure to check the podcast we'll be doing every Saturday and Sunday for this new special bet. That URL once again, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Friday, February 10th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, we have separate shows this week for the Coast to Coast Pick 5s. You can find me and JK in your audio feed talking about those. On this one, I'm very happy to be joined by InTheMoneyPodcast.com's own Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are you? Doing great, Pete. Ready for a big weekend of racing and a little football on Sunday. Couldn't beat it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get your Super Bowl opinion in here at some point as well. But let's start off with the Derby points races. We've got three of them starting off with the rescheduled Withers Stakes at Aqueduct on Saturday. Um, interesting little race with a bunch of horses we've talked about a lot. Who are you going to be betting? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's the most appealing from a betting perspective. Um, I mean, the horses that headline it are Hit Show and Arctic Arrogance. Arctic Arrogance is a horse that has, we've talked on here before, that twice in a row now has looked like he's been well on his way to winning a, a major stake race and has somehow come up wanting in the stretch. And so to combat that, Linda Rice is adding blinkers, which, you know, I, I certainly don't think it could hurt. It's probably going to make him a little bit more of a committed front runner, which uh, I don't think is a bad thing either. I think it's the quickest way around there for a horse with his style. So uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by Hit Show. I kind of brought him up as a way off the wall, long shot type in our, our look at the, uh, the future wager last time around, he has a nice pedigree on the damn side for distance. His damn actress won the comely at aqueduct at a mile and an eighth. And it looks like the, the uh, cancellation really did him no harm. He stayed, he was at home until last week. And then he ended up working. I thought it, I, it's not listed in the bracing form. I thought he worked with looms boldly. So I'm, I'm not sure why that's not logged. Oh, that's interesting. I thought I read somewhere where he worked with Looms Boldly last week at Belmont. Um, you know, maybe not anything that was significant or timed. So yeah, I maybe think they were just jogging. Yeah, exactly. I think distance-wise, he really becomes a great fit here. And you know, the concern that you have with Arctic Arrogance is what exactly is going to happen with ninety percent Maddie and Andiamo Aferenze because they've got to be forwardly placed. So I think Hitchell really gets the run of the race with a little bit of pace expected, and I think he truly looks like the horse in here who stands to benefit most from the mile and eighth. My only fear with Hit Show is, you know, this angle we've talked about so many times about, you know, Lasix on, Lasix off. If the Lasix was the reason for the big step forward last time, you know, that will not be in effect. So it made me take a long look at the three uh, young Frau 
for Bill Mott, who's just been going such great guns. This one's proven without Lasix, and is another who could benefit if Arctic Arrogance and uh, the six and seven end up hooking up early, um, and or if Manny decides to be more aggressive than pace figures suggest with Hit Show. Can you see Young Frau at all in this spot? Uh, yeah, I'll tell you the interesting thing about Young Frau to me, Pete, is that uh, in that mile and an eighth maiden race in November, he took a ton of money. And, you know, remembering back to that race, I think it was on a Sunday in November, shortly before Thanksgiving, uh, that was a field that included a couple of horses that had run well prior. And it, it, he, including Krupe, who everybody was wanting to bet back after he, you know, kind of closed from the clouds at Saratoga. Right. And, and Jungfrau just got bet and bet and bet. And I mean, the money never retreated at all. And he really didn't run that well, but he came back and he ran well to a horse called Expect More um, from Todd Pletcher's barn at Gulfstream, who at least has some ability. So, yeah, I think it's a this is a horse who was added to the field with the cancellation from last week. And I think he's a great addition because while he he is another type, I think, that stands to benefit from the pace perspective. He was actually pretty close to a strong pace last time. And so that'll keep him from being quite as far back. He really rates to get the jump on a horse like uh, Hitcho. But you but but Hitcho is still your your selection in here. Yeah, I don't think Hitcho ran that badly two starts back. So I'm going to take the maybe the Lasix made him a little bit better, but maybe also the experience in the distance is getting him there as well. I don't love having to to pay to find that out at eight to five, but um, it, that's why this is a little bit more of a this is more of a viewer's race than a punter's race. Gotcha. That makes that makes perfect sense. You got to figure just, you know, as you joked the other day, breathing the same air as looms boldly had to do something for him to move him forward. If he was that close. I mean, look at what it did for Shadow Dragon. <laughs> Let's go all the way out west to a race that once in a while produces a horse that uh, makes some noise on the Triple Crown Trail, including a Preakness winner in recent years, the El Camino Real from Golden Gate. This is race number eight, 754, scheduled post time for it. You got some shippers up from Southern California. I'm hoping this is a spot where a local runner who makes a lot of sense, like Passerando, ends up being a more of a bettable favorite because of the presence of some of these other horses in here. I just like the fact that the horse is proven around, um, around golden gate. I mean, I'm thinking with the damn side pedigree, this is a horse that shouldn't have problem with the extra distance, just a tepid selection for Passerando for me. Do you have anything in here to, to share? No, I agree with you completely. I think he also stands to get a really good pace set up as well. And time from us has this thing fast on paper, how much the two Bob Baffert horses will battle early really is uh, is kind of a wild card, but Harson looks like he's one-way speed. So I don't see them running him at a, at a mile and an eighth around two turns, stretching out in distance because they think that they want to rate. So a uh, little bit of an acid test for that son of Golden Sense, who's a perfect two for two and has looked pretty darn good in his two prior starts. I just wonder if this might be a little too much too soon. I mean, the two local hopefuls that uh, you referenced Passerando, the other one being Chase the Chaos, who was second to him two starts back in the gold rush. And these look like horses that are really good fits. They're, they're both, they're, they're both a little bit quick too, which is good. I mean, they're not, you know, these slow plotting synthetic types. So um, I, I could see either one of them winning. And, um, and I think they each stand to benefit from what should be a strong pace. I mean, what do you do with Gilmore? I guess is the real question. He improved a ton second time out winning at, uh, 
at low sal roll on big joe came back and won a maiden optional claimer at Gulfstream by 14 plus lengths so it was at least a decent enough race bob baffert has had limited uh, starters obviously in the last five years on synthetics he did win this race last year so it's uh, it's it's not a something that you can i think completely overlook in terms of gilmore who you know while time from us has him on the front end he's probably going to be in more of a of a stalking position and he might get the baton a little bit before those closers have a say Let's head to Tampa and we'll go off the, the triple crown points races for a second to talk about uh, the Oaks division and the Suncoast, a race I bring up only because you and I had talked about, you know, maybe early week looking for ways to beat Wonder Wheel and or Julia Shining. If folks want a full rundown of the Tampa card, well, from race three on anyway, on the Tampa card, Rich Averill and I are doing that on the plus side in the moneypodcast.com slash plus. If you want to check that out, Rich had some really interesting long shots along the way that folks may want to check out. But now that you've had a chance to look at the Sun Coast, Nick, who's your selection? You know, as much as I wanted to find an alternative to both of them, it does feel like Wonder Wheel is in a, an awfully advantageous spot. And, you know, one of the things about Wonder Wheel, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be labeled a detractor of hers at all because I do think she's a, a very solid horse. She's just gotten to be, she's gotten this status and I don't really know why she has it. Um, I guess because Marcassi speaks about her sort of glowingly. And I will admit, I even tweeted yesterday or the day before when he said she was the best two-year-old he's ever had. It's like, buddy, you had the two-year-old champion six years ago. Right. And if you think Wonder Wheel was a better horse than Classic Empire, then you know, maybe she's friendlier around the barn or something because she's not nearly as good on the racetrack as he was. But with that said, you know, the versatility that she showed in the Breeders' Cup, I do think is admirable because she's a filly who we thought was going to get burned up on the front end. And she ended up rating very comfortably and gave Tyler Gaffleone a whole new set of, of uh, really a whole new slew of weapons, basically, in the arsenal, so to speak, in being able to sit back and make one run. This feels like it should be an honestly run race. I, I think that she'll get a, a pretty massive jump on Julia Shining. And I think the interesting thing to me is, you know, what exactly will Julia Shining do in a fast paced route where she's going to have to get her engine cranked quite a bit sooner? You know, that was a slow paced race last time out. You know, she just has that that grinding, grinding way about her that that her sister uh, Malathot sort of had as well. One of the things about Malathot is that as she got older, she became a little bit less of a grinder. So maybe that's what we have to look forward to with Julia Shining. But um, I think the key in here is to bet against Julia Shining. It's to bet Wonder Wheel and the Exactas with some of the horses that might offer, offer a little bit of value. I wish I had some level of confidence that Ticker Tape Home was going to take to the dirt. I know she's been training up at Cassie's Farm, and but she's a good horse and she's run well on turf and synthetic. The pedigree, at least, is not totally geared towards synthetics and turf. The top side, obviously, is good with Medallia Doro. So maybe a cold punch, 1-8, or something along those lines. I could also see myself getting maybe a little bit in, uh, interested in a horse like Charlie's Wish. He'll probably benefit from getting a little more ground after really surging late last time out to miss behind Opus 42. All right, interesting ideas there. I was going to try to maybe think, with this being more along the lines of a prep and a horse who, you know, presumably spent some time at the farm and being down on the inside. I was still going to try to beat Wonder Wheel, despite how logical she is. And I agree that I just think it's an interesting chance to take a shot with a couple of long shots. And I do think take her tape home, but just based on those good figures on the, uh, on the synthetic and the turf is the one medallia door of war front cross. I mean, why not for the dirt really? I, I think it's, it's most certainty, but I think at the prices, it's worth taking a shot. 
And then I thought that Opus 42 was a little bit interesting, maybe to confirm that form with Charlie's Wish. And I certainly don't mind throwing in a little bit of Charlie's Wish, too, as a backup, given there was only a nose between them. Love the race over the course. And with Opus 42, I think this distance is going to be her friend. So I was looking at uh, two, two and eight sort of on the top line and three on the back line to uh, maybe try to dethrone the big ones. Nick having a little bit more confidence uh, with the one and looking to mix in the eight and the three behind. Let's go on to the, uh, let's go on to the, to the next race we want to talk about, which is the Sam F Davis, the race that gives the day its name down there at Tampa. But what'd you come up with in this one, Nick? Well, you know, it's funny as, as much as I said, I want to take a swing against Pletcher and Luis Saez with Julia shining. I love litigate in this race. I think litigate is a great fit. Um, this looks like a race that, I mean, boy, if there should be a fast pace anywhere in the country on Saturday, it really should be in here. There's a number of horses that look like they only have one way to go. That happens quite frequently. If you remember this race last year was loaded with speed on paper and classic causeway was able to still get the job done. Yeah. Um, but this looks like a race that really should be run at a strong early pace. And, you know, for me, Pete, from a betting perspective, it's it's just a really good opportunity to bet against the favorite WHNL, who is is going to be, I mean, he's nine to five on the morning line. And there are just way too many question marks about him to give you really any level of confidence. I thought Litigate's effort behind Cyclone Mischief was good. I thought he moved maybe a tad early. Um, I think he's a horse that that pedigree wise is really geared towards two turns and beyond. And so I think the distance will be in his favor. And if Sias can get him to settle about mid pack, I think he'll get plenty of running in front of him. And I've got big knocks on on Prairie Hawk and WHNL. Uh, Safi Joseph Jr. has some pretty awful numbers with horses coming off of Lasix. He's two for his last 33 with a sub $1 ROI. So that's oh. a big concern with Prairie Hawk. I think Prairie Hawk's last race was a little bit of a phony anyway. Um, the other horse that I guess is going to get a little bit of money that I could see myself maybe using is Champion's Dream, who I thought was at least finishing well behind Zydeco and should benefit from the extra ground. But I'm not altogether convinced there, too. I could see this, this is a race for me where I think in the multis, I'm going to single litigate. And if he's five to one, I'm going to bet him to win. All right. I like the sound of it. Let's move out west to our other business for the day, which is to look at this late pick five at Santa Anita. Again, we'll be doing work on the coast to coast under separate cover, as it were, uh, with me and JK. But here we'll, we'll kick off with race number six. Nick, what numbers did you want to use to light this candle out at Santa Anita? Boy, I mean, what a, you know, what a, what a race to get the sequence started a full field. And, and this is a, actually a very strong sequence. I think for all of the conversation there is about Southern California racing, take a good look at the sequence. I thought the horse to beat was the nine midnight special. I don't have anything terribly clever to say. He looks like the right fit. He's kind of a stick out on the thoroughgraphs too, uh, coming in with a good pattern into this race, dropping from 12, five to 10. Steve Knapp had a big weekend last weekend. And so this Perfect. is a barn that looks like it's, it's heating up pretty nicely. So I'm going to use him. Um, I'm going to use oil can night a little bit as well for Milton Pineda, one door to the outside horse that probably wants to be forwardly placed when all is said and done. And Edwin Maldonado is the right guy to have in the irons in that scenario. So mainly nines and tens for me, I'll back up with a little bit of the six who uh, looks like a horse that might be in the right spot class wise. I had midnight special on top as well, taking the drop in class for the red hot barn. And I thought we'd get a great trip stalking and pouncing behind the fastest of the speeds. Presumably had a few backups in there, including your oil can night, a winning type who, 
could maybe guess to get the right trip, but could. Um, Mighty Matt, I wanted to throw in for a penny as maybe the best closer in a race where there was a ton of speed. And I thought that Handsome Gary was an interesting question mark type off the claim for Wong, a horse that at six or eight to one I'd throw in there. So I had it nine on the top line with one, seven, ten. Nick going nine and ten with the six as the backup. You make a great point about uh, the competitiveness of this pick five sequence. It continues with this allowance race, race number seven, going a mile on the turf. I guess I'm fairly obvious with my top pick, the number one, Alagado. Very consistent, well-drawn, and while he did get out late, was stuck in a phone booth for much of the stretch last time. This is the kind of horse, though, that especially earlier in my trip handicapping uh, exploits, this was the kind of horse that I would have made like play of the day type thing because of all of the troubled trips. But after doing that long enough, you realize some horses make their own luck and some horses make their own not luck. That could be the case with Alligato. I still think looks too strong not to use. The two Bellotti I thought was an interesting long shot. Closed last time into a slow pace against better and should be all of uh, 10 to 1, I would think. I can't decide what I'm going to do with Silver Surfer getting the gelding Lasix makeover and possibly on pace figures, the best speed, but this is a really long layoff. And I know that um, D'Amato has a reputation for being good off the layoff and he is really good off of six months, but I actually, I filtered it for a year and longer and the numbers go straight down to where he's just like 10%, which is obviously not so hot for a guy with his good numbers overall. I'm still keeping in the um, mix as a potential backup and six restless spirit for CJ thoroughbreds was the other one with the East coast turf form shipping West um, D'Amato once again in this one, teaming up with Detori, just another horse who just seemed logical. So I was going to have the one and the two on the top line backing up six and seven. Nick, how did you see it? You know, I thought it was a really interesting race. I think Alligato is clearly the horse to beat, as you mentioned, based on the, you know, the company lines and, and the last few performances, um, one of the horses I was intrigued by that, and, and I, I'm going to use Reckless Spirit as well, just on the, the east to west move. Time to party beat a relatively weak field two starts back. But if you watch that replay back, um, Joe Bravo sort of drives me crazy with, with some of the stuff that he does on the turf. This horse made a gigantic move around the far turn. I mean, even in the comment line, it says swift move second turn. And he just rolled by everybody. It also seems somewhat clear at this point, he is a Lasix on horse. And he's getting Lasix back. Um, that That's a running line, two starts back, that's good enough to win. I thought it's also interesting, too, that Papa Padromo is taking the blinkers off. And he seemed to be a quicker horse without the blinkers. So he's been a more relaxed horse with them. I'm wondering if Bravo is going to ride him a little bit forwardly. I'm going to use him in Alligato. I'm going to back up with Reckless Spirit and Silver Surfer and try and keep it somewhat simple. Um, but I'm going to bet this horse, I think, if he's a decent enough price, because I'm wondering if maybe he's just going to get the right trip close to the pace. Alligato meaning? Time to party. Oh, time to party. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. yes. All right. Makes sense. Because he's only four to one on the morning line. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a big revelation by me, but um, he might be a horse that, that could be, I I could see him drifting up off of that too. Cause I think there could be, the the public tends to penalize the most recent running line pretty, you know, pretty actively. So uh, he could get hurt by that. That's fair. And and one that I definitely want to try to work in there on some backups based on your say so. We go to an allowance race, six furlongs on the dirt for race number eight on a field of eight going forward. Um, I thought that let's go get lucky. Just looked pretty obvious in this spot. Uh, strong numbers, hard trier. This horse gives the impression that he might even be better than what we've seen. I feel like from just watching that recent tape, 
I was going to mostly use him and then back up with the progressive, uh, lightly raced sorts, the four Spirit of Makina and the five Murray, but definitely preference for the three for me in uh, in race eight at Santa Anita. Where are you? Yeah, I mean, it feels like the winner comes from that group of three, right? The three, four, and five. I don't know. I can't really get with Kronbuehl from an inside post. I think he'll have to negotiate a trip that I just really don't see happening. I guess the most dangerous of those three for me is Spirit of McKenna, just because he probably is the quickest early. But um, And his debut win was good enough to contend. His second start, where he made the pace and then got nailed late at Del Mar, was very, very good. But you're having to deal with something similar with all three of these horses, is that they're all coming off some kind of mid-range type layoff, unseen since the Del Mar summer meet. Murray might end up being the most talented of the three as well, given what we've seen from him in, in limited supply. So, yeah, I'm just going to use those three equally. I'm not going to separate them. If, if somebody outside of them wins, then I'm, uh, I'm happy to move on. All right. Stakes action for the three-year-old Phillies in the sweet life going down the hill. Race number nine. Nick, what'd you come up with? I mean, the, the question to me here, as odd as it sounds, is do you have the courage to really back Itzel? as what might be the pretty clear lone speed. I mean, it has not been a banner meet for Umberto Rispoli, and uh, Peter Miller's numbers off the claim are not what they once were. But this is a horse who took a dramatic step forward, second time out, first time turf. Looks like she probably is going to be as loose as can be on the front end. She ran against some good horses in her first start on the dirt. So, you know, it's not as if you could say that uh, she didn't at least show that she might have some ability, but it's it's this cheeky sort of claim and then bam, right into a stake move by Miller that makes you uh, at least you have to notice it a little bit. You have to be cognizant of it. Manhattan Jungle to me is clearly the horse to beat. Uh, Michael McCarthy, who is terrific, um, you know, one of the one of the better trainers in the West Coast. He has really awful turf sprint numbers. He's just not a turf sprint trainer. He is a he's a distance guy, and I think his sprinters are primarily on dirt. With that said, you know, you can't really bet this race without using her. So I'm just going to use the four and seven and um, and try and keep it relatively simple. I could see myself using the ten a little bit as a backup fun money, who's kind of come into her own in her last couple of starts. I wonder if that has to do with Lasix, which she is now racing without. And uh, and and as you and I have talked about this a little bit more, I think it might be Paul Matisse tipped us off to this a couple of years ago. It might be a bigger deal with female horses than it is with males. So I'm happy to, to stand on the four and seven, but if you wanted to use the 10 as a backup, I wouldn't have a big argument. I was hoping the 10 would keep the seven honest. And that played into my reading of the race. I did put Manhattan jungle on top. I just think, well, everything you said is correct about McCarthy. Um, I just think on her paper, she looks very much suited to this test based on the turf sprint group form as a two-year-old. And then that juvenile Phillies turf big run that screamed cutback. I just, you know, as a fanboy, the Michael McCarthy-Frankie combo uh, gets me excited as well. I was going to use the 11 happy gal on the B-line, probably a little slow, but I just thought might be an interesting use after being against the flow and running a decent figure against several of these last time. Excelia the eight comes out of that same race and I felt like tried to do the dirty work in the middle part of that race and it didn't really work out now second off the layoff can maybe just sit behind that speed and get the job done and I was going to use Itzel as the one who I thought would be if it did play to speed I, I did think she would ultimately win the duel um, and and I don't love the five and a half to six and a half down the hill stretch out at all but Best speed in a turf sprint is still an angle that it often pays to keep on side. So I've got the four as my lone A, 11, 8, and 7 as a backup. And we'll get to our pay leg. 
I wish it wasn't the last race. It's so, so tricky when you have all these first-time starters and we don't get to see the board for this uh, maiden special weight six for a long race on the turf. But as far as your late pick five tickets, Nick, how are you going to try to get paid? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the worst of it, right, too, because the experienced horses, you look at them and, you know, there's no – the turf – we've talked about Valiancer. I had a big, uh, a big thought on Valiancer coming out of the uh, Del Mar race in early December, and I just don't know why Jeff Mullins keeps sprinting him. And he keeps sprinting him. And, and I'm really dying for him to go long again, but he's not much horse. I'll tell you who the pedigree is in here. And, and it's a, it's actually a pretty darn good pedigree is Vegas burner. The dam side has four turf winners. Uh, the dam was unraced, but all four turf horses were multiple winners. They all actually ran pretty well consistently. So uh, I, I think that horse is a big move up on the lawn. You know, the rest of them are just 1984, the six, the dam was a turf winner. She's dropped three turf winners. Obviously it's D'Amato. So you probably want to give that horse some consideration Precision Strike is a gun runner, and for all gun runners done, is is actually his first first time turf winner was Wednesday at Gulfstream. A horse going a mile and a half on the turf, named Hitting Bombs. Um, so there's just really not a lot of turf pedigree in here that's all that interesting. If you wanted to make a case for me for a horse like Azure Star, who's the new gelding and getting Lasix cutting back for Dan Blacker, I could probably hear it. My problem is that you and I talked to Duke about this on Saturday. You have to be forwardly placed in these straight away six furlong races you you really can't come from deep in the pack that these races are dominated largely on the front end so i'm looking for this horse to uh to have to show a little bit more speed so after that gigantic preamble i'll use the four and nine um and and i could be i could be convinced into using the three as an a as well i'll probably back up with horses like the five and six all right i like the sound of it i had the same topic as you with vegas burner um, just extremely logical off that pedigree. I don't have too much to add to what you said. I I was wondering if uh, Com C could get anything done in here. First time as a gelding, and this is a, a very turf sprinty pedigree. Going to have to show more speed. But at a big price with the Mendelssohn-Stormy um, Atlantic combo, and I say Mendelssohn for turf sprint just because being by Scat Daddy um, seems logical enough to me. I thought that the eight, Looked logical enough. Again, just a, a pedigree I could see doing well. Turf sprinting, street boss, precocity, and the candy rides uh, run on anything out of a candy ride dam. So I was going to have some eights in the mix. And then the the 10 nuclear was another one that uh, just pedigree-wise being by Justify uh, fast-looking workouts on this one. Haven't seen the proper clock or report and just winning connections. So I was going to spread around 4, 5, 8, 10. It's a use as many as you, you can afford situation if your opinions are strong enough elsewhere. For Nick, I wrote down four, nine, and three on the top line as backups. Any other races you wanted to talk about or anything uh, to discuss on this edition of the show? Oh, I think we covered a lot of ground. It's exciting to see the three-year-old preps. And, you know, this is a little more of a quiet weekend with Withers being added obviously helps. And so, you know, we'll get after it in earnest next week. Risen Star, then Southwest, then Fountain of Youth, and – yeah, we're rock Tampa Bay Derby. We're rocking and rolling. It's a one-way train from here. So we'll 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 buckle our seatbelts. We'll put up uh we'll try to do videos for a lot of these triple crown preps. We know there's a ton of interest among the YouTube crowd. If you're watching on YouTube, give us your thoughts on the winners of the Withers and the El Camino Real and the Sam F. Davis. Maybe we'll get a giveaway going as weeks go on, but we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll just see if we can get a little conversation going for the moment and, uh, and leave it there. You can find much more coverage over at in the If you want to keep up on everything going on on the network, you want to subscribe to our free newsletter in the slash email. 
And over on that website, also lots of free picks and analysis, including daily stuff from Nick, much more on the Triple Crown preps as well from Eric DeCoster and Eric Solomon in the moneypodcast.com. Check it out. We're going to thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you for listening, for watching, making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Breeders' Cup betting challenge champion, Drew Coney. I don't know why I stumbled over that this time. Our chief creative officer is the host of JK Plus One, Jonathan Kitchen. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>